listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lease. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. It's a Friday. No freaking way. Your ears do not deceive you. That is right. We are now doing two episodes a week because we're insane. Yes. Welcome to our little bonus episode of Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. This is our new little Mm -hmm. bonus segment on the rocks, which we will be releasing every Friday with the intention of it being a shorter episode that will get to cover some of the cases that we've come across, but either the case itself isn't long enough or the case just doesn't have enough information available to really kind of pad out a 20 to 30 minute case story. And it's much more of an involved process with you guys as well, because a lot of these cases have been from recommendations that you have given us. Yeah. So a lot of the time we get people messaging us asking us to cover certain cases and we always want to try and like give you guys the content that you want to hear but at the same time we don't want to be doing super short episodes every week if we're doing shorter cases so this you got the best of both worlds you really do um so yeah like laura said this is going to be a shorter episode every friday that'll just be kind of shorter um that's just the way it is. Smaller cases, smaller episode. But it's two episodes a week that you guys get to hear our lovely voices and something where you can possibly be a bit more involved be with a the part show. part of it. So yeah. I have actually added to our link tree, um, which is in our, the bio of all our social media platforms. If you go onto our link tree and scroll way down the bottom, there is a button that says suggest a case and it's just a shared Google Doc that you can just add a case suggestion and pop mm-hmm. your name next to it so we know who suggested it. Don't delete other people's stuff. Yeah, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick with it. Otherwise, we'll have to find another way yeah. to do it. It's, Which, this is very much a trust system. Yeah, I, I, I trust you guys, uh, 90% of you guys. There's a 10% of you that I don't know too well that I'm hoping Those you Those 10% not. like the lurkers that just listen and, and don't like... Yeah. Interact. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's are... the internet. You can't. You can't trust the internet. No. But um, on that note of the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime, can we take a quick little pause? And I'm gonna fix myself a glass of wine. Fantastic. All right, we are sufficiently wined up. Well, that, that was didn't. That really didn't so make the clinking noise I was really wanting it to make. Fantastic. Um, I was trying to clink you all and give you a. There we that go. Was somewhat better all right anyway this case comes to us from josh mcdonald so thank you very much josh this is a case that you suggested a little while ago and it just wasn't sufficient enough to be a full episode case but it's just the right the perfect size for on the rocks for on the rocks and we accept cases of all sizes on the show we are not prejudice size doesn't matter folks. size does not matter it's how it's what you, you do with it what you do with it like yeah uh anyway this is the case of joseph thomas schwab who is a german man born on the 25th of november 1960 he was born in stanberg starnberg bavaria sorry in west germany 
so he was a as a student he was a bit he was rather seclusive and he found a fascination which red flag immediately he joined the local rifle club at Pocking at the age of 15 up until 1981 now that's not a bad thing in itself but seeing where it led him to it's just kind of a bit yeah. of a, okay so on the 15th of June, 1981, he traveled to Adelaide, South Australia and worked as a cabinet maker while also joining their local pistol club. He had access to a four-wheel drive and an assortment of firearms and he would frequently go feral pig hunting, which is a big thing in the outback of Australia. Yeah. He returned to Germany on the 10th of May, 1984. Uh, and I read a few things about how he committed a few minor crimes back in Germany. I'm not too sure about okay. what exactly he did. But he's a very naughty boy while he went back over there, apparently. He's not the messiah. He's no. a very naughty boy. And so that was 1984. Later in 1987, the 18th of April, he returned back to Australia to Brisbane via Bangkok as a tourist. On the 22nd of April, he rented a four-wheel drive at Brisbane Airport and bought three rifles along with a pump-action shotgun and 3,000 rounds of ammunition. 3,000? Yeah. He's He's... Stocking up for the fucking apocalypse, apparently. Okay. So he later departed west and <clears throat> was in the vicinity of the Diamantina River by six of the sixth of May and in the Darwin area by the twentieth of May. And so in the twentieth of May he's around the Darwin sort of area. So a man called Marcus Bullen, who was the former former deputy mayor of Fremantle, he was aged 70, and his son, Lance Bullen, who was aged 42, were shot dead from behind on the morning of June 9th while scouting for a fishing spot on the banks of the Victoria River. They were reported missing to Timber Creek Police, and the next day their burnt-out station wagon was found with their bodies completely stripped of clothing nearby in a poorly hidden shallow grave. Okay. Five days later, three locals who went fishing overnight, there were Philip Walkmeyer, 26, his fiancée, Julie Warren, who was age 25, and their friend, Terry Bolt, who was 36, were both were all shot dead in the Western Australia area in a uh, at a campsite at the Pentecost River Crossing near Windman, Wintum. Sorry. They were reported missing the next day after not appearing at work, and a few work colleagues found their burnt-out car along with traces of blood. So then police went for a search and they located their bodies floating nearby in the river. Their bodies had also been stripped and their belongings were burnt along with their car. The police were unable to find a motive as to why these killings were happening mm. and they couldn't necessarily string them together. But despite roadblocks being set up all around the area, they hadn't locked down anyone as a prime suspect. A seven-member team of police officers from the tactical response group and an officer from the forensic division who were rushed by a chartered jet to from Perth to Kununurra to assist Kimberley police in finding the killer. They were able to find out that the weapon he used for the killings was a Ruger Mini 14 uh, 223 semi-automatic rifle, as well as his vehicle being a white Toyota 4Runner with red stripes on it. A truck had actually seen the car leaving the area where the last victim's car was set on fire. Mm. So they were able to sort of knock, pin that down as the prime suspect's car. They're unable to locate this vehicle, however, using a network of roadblocks. Though there is an Outback livestock mustering helicopter pilot from Napier Down Station raised an alarm after spotting a camouflage vehicle in the bushlands near Fitzroy Crossing. Tactical police, unsure if this vehicle was 
the guy they were looking for or not, mm. started approaching it cautiously on the ground and later called in a police helicopter to fly over the site in an attempt to maybe draw them out. A man dressed in military trousers and armed with a semi-automatic weapon emerged from the camouflage camp and opened fire onto the aircraft, which I don't know if you know much about police and their vehicles and their mm. helicopters. It's just not gonna it's not gonna do much. Yeah. You kind of just you you're throwing a paper ball at a bull there. Yeah. Um so police on the ground identified themselves and the gunmen then opened fire on them as well. Uh, as the police returned fire, they also fired off several tear gas canisters and eventually during the gunfight they managed to kill the gunman. The vehicle that he was in was set afire from a grass fire started from the gas canisters that they threw off and they were unable to save the vehicle from such fire. However, they did find several licenses, credit cards and camping goods all belonging to the victims of the previous crimes I mentioned before. The body was then flown to Perth for analysis and they later identified the gunman as Joseph Schwab based on rental and immigration documents. His motive? Never known. We could probably never find out. Interesting. It's... In my opinion, kind of like, uh, I can't remember his, his name, but the Alaska murderer who sent women off into the wilderness to kill them. His oh, name is escaping my me. tongue, Robert something. Yeah. Um, that whole aspect of... You should know of, this because I covered You should, you didn't cover it. It's that whole aspect of um, the sport of hunting mm. is what I imagine. Interesting. Yeah. Very messed up case, very messed up person. And uh, yeah, the just we don't have any idea of why he did it. Wild. Just seemingly liked guns and killing people and stripping their bodies and burning their belongings. Jesus. It was Robert Hansen, by the Robert way. Robert Hansen. That's it. Yeah. Anyway, that is my case. Thank you to Josh McDonald. We uh, thank you for supplying that case. I'm sorry yeah. it took so long, but... Here we, we are. We got there eventually. We got there we eventually. Aim to please. Yeah. We aim to please on this show. We'll always try and get there eventually. Yes. No, that was really good. I, I very much enjoyed that. Very much enjoyed that. Yeah, it was very good. Who are you covering, Laura? So I'm covering something wildly different. Oh, to nice. You. Okay. Um, and this is one that I've always found fascinating. And I, for the life of me, I don't understand why... I haven't heard more people talking about this case and it's kind of almost upsetting that there's so little available on this case, which is probably right. a lot to do with the fact that it was an African-American woman in yes. the South of America in the early 1900s. Okay. That would make sense. Yeah. There was a lot of discrimination, especially, I guess, I'm not too sure what the time frame was or the year it was. I mean, even now it's like... Mm. You still have, it's just such a, 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 a brush on the rug kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's a really interesting one. So I'm talking about Clementine Barnabet. So Clementine Barnabet was born in 1894, roughly. Again, I couldn't really find anything that could nail down her specific birth date. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the early details of her life are non-existent. So she was born in Louisiana to parents Nina and Father Raymond, who allegedly was very abusive towards her and her three siblings. She had three brothers. So between the years of 1911 and 1912, around 12 families were murdered in their homes while they slept. What these families had in common was their houses ran sort of along 
not along, but they were very close to the track of the Southern Pacific Railroad line that ran from Louisiana to Texas, and they were all murdered uh, with an axe or there was an axe that was used to incapacitate them to fracture their skulls. Jesus. So it was three weeks between the initial killing and the second uh, family killing and 30 miles in distance between the homes. But this time, the second time around, the murder weapon was found at the scene. So this is when they connected the axe and they realized that it was likely that these were connected. Initially, Raymond Barnabet was arrested for the second family's murder, but was released two days later due to lack of evidence. And why they connected him in the first place? Don't know. You can't find any information as to why Fantastic. they connected him to this first murder. Yeah. Um, shortly after another family with a home on the same railroad line is brutally murdered and again Raymond is pulled in for questioning but this time it's based on evidence from a woman with whom he was having an affair named Diana Diana reportedly told a friend some quote frightening things about the axe murders that led the friend to believe Barnabet was the murder the friends then passed that information on to the police who then arrested Barnabet however upon questioning both Raymond and Diana deny this ever happened however raymond's family is quick to support the claim that raymond is the killer raymond is formally charged and tried for the murders when his daughter clementine takes the stand to testify against her father she said quote he arrived home the night of the andrus murders was one of the family's surnames Mm -hmm. with his blue shirt covered in blood and brains she said her father bragged that he killed a whole family that night and told clementine to wash the blood out of his clothes which she did um, Zephyrin, one of her brothers, backed up his sister's story, um, but Nina, their mother, denied seeing any bloody clothes but testified that Raymond had threatened to kill her a month prior. Raymond is found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. However, Raymond's attorney files for an appeal and is successful and Raymond is held in jail pending a new trial. So an interesting tidbit that I didn't mention at the start is the family was rumoured to have been involved in a local cult known as the Church of Sacrifice, which was called an equal opportunity cult. So they had an equal number of male and female members. And my understanding was it was predominantly African-American people who practised voodoo or hoodoo witchcraft. Interesting. Okay. So the group's core belief was that it was possible to obtain riches and other possessions via human sacrifice. And Clement... Clementine Barnabet was rumoured to have become a leader within the cult at the age of 17. So while Raymond is being held in prison, families continue to be murdered in the same brutal way. And it's at this stage that Clementine comes under suspicions due to the neighbours. Initially, the only thing that kind of ties her to it is the neighbours say that her and her siblings are filthy, shifty and degenerates. Clementine is held under custody and her home is searched where they find blood left on the latch of the fence to her house and bloody clothes found in her room as well as allegedly brain matter. Zephyrin has a solid alibi for the night the murders all occurred because he is also implicated. However, Clementine does not. Clementine and Zephyrin are both initially held with um, Zephyrin being let out. However, while Clementine is held in custody, the murder of the families continue. In January 1912, three families were found murdered. One of the families was that of Felix Brassard, his wife and their three children. The killers left messages on the wall of the Brassard home, one reading, When he maketh the inquisition for blood, he forgetteth not the cry of the humble, which I believe is from Psalms, from one of the original 
uh, translation of the interesting. Well, not the original, but one of the one older of the translations older translations. Of the Bible. Yeah. Creepy. And these messages are signed by the Human Five. So this leads the media to nickname the killers the Human Five Gang, as well as the ongoing story that the murders were connected to the practice of voodoo. So the media obviously has an absolute field day with this, connecting the murders to voodoo magic and culture. So obviously there's massive racial undertones that go into this, oh, being yeah. that... Clementine and her family were African-American and from what I can tell, all of the families that were murdered were also African-American. Yeah. So I would imagine that, however, the police officers working on the case would have been white and I would have imagined that all of the journalists reporting on it would have also been white. So obviously they're very quick to go, it's an African-American woman killing African-American people because of this African-American, because voodoo is yep. traditionally, voodoo and hoodoo are linked to African witchcraft and culture. Um, so obviously they're very willing to, to keep the, the, the good southern bells of Louisiana feeling safe, knowing that because they're white, they're not yeah, going to yeah. be under fire. No, no cause to fear for the white people. Yeah. So James Hoare or Hoa, wrote for a publication called Real Crime Daily, Clementine scandalized the press, stirring up a gumbo of moral panic in a state where civil war and slavery remained a living memory. Everything about Clementine Barnabet represented a collision, even a perversion of cultures in the eyes of white Louisiana. From her mangled Creole French to her mangled beliefs, a tabloid baiting blend of voodoo, itself a blend of Catholicism and West African tribal rights and evangelical Christianity. Now, despite being in jail while some of the murders continue to occur, Clementine ends up confessing to sev initially 17 murders and then 35 murders in total. Jesus. She explains that the murders are related to her opposition, oh, sorry, to her position at the Church of Sacrifice and claims that a priestess of the church had given her and her friends who helped her murder these families uh, conjure bags, which are... Uh, talismans within voodoo and hoodoo that would grant them supernatural powers and make them uncatchable by the police. Most people agree that her, quote, confession has massive holes in it and often con contradicts itself, as well as the other people that she implicated in the crimes seemingly didn't exist. So she gave them a bunch of names of people who just weren't real. Right. So it's kind of unclear whether Clementine wasn't quite up all there in the head or if the police kind of forced her to make this confession, that's not really clear. Mm. But at age 19, Clementine Barnabet was found guilty of murder and sentenced to jail. She made one escape attempt on July 31st in 1913 and was later released in August 1923 after undergoing a procedure that allegedly cured her and restored her to a normal which a lot of people have said... I don't like the sound of that. Lobotomies were not common in the US until a decade after this, but what happened to her sounded a whole lot like Jesus a lobotomy. Jesus Christ. But as far as records show, lobotomies weren't known in the United States until about 10 years after that. So... True. They could have experimented with... Someone's her. fucked with her brain. Yeah. But... We know from like World War Two and the First World War that experiments were done on african-american soldiers yeah like it's not out of the question to say that even though it wasn't commonplace mm. could have been tested on 
And then after her release from prison, Clementine disappears off the map and there's literally nothing you can find about her at all. Uh, So also there's literally no evidence to support the existence of the church that she claimed to be a part of and that the media claimed was behind all of these murders. There's there's no evidence that it existed. It's all rumours. And a lot of people had said that while it's highly likely that either Raymond Barnabet did commit one or two of the murders and that's why they found the bloody clothes in Clementine's room. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have said it's highly likely that the other crimes were copycat crimes. And oddly enough, the Axeman of New Orleans was very close. Yes. He also happened in the 1910s. Yes. So uh, Clementine Barnabet murders happened 1911 to 1912. Axeman of New Orleans was in also the... Late 1910s, that so sort slightly of era. after. Yeah. And those killings have also never been solved, solved either. No one, yeah. So there's no actual connection to the Axeman and Clementine Barnabet, but it's just kind of weird that there were these axe murders happening in the South mm-hmm. around the same time. Yeah, and the fact that no one has found any anyone close to who it could be for the New Orleans axe murderer. Yeah, it just kind of seems like the media went, yeah, cool. Yeah. She's confessed. She's African-American. That's good enough for yeah. us. No, it, it, for the times, it's like that you can definitely see that happening. Yeah, because it doesn't look like, despite the fact that they couldn't mm-hmm. ever implicate anyone else in the murders and some of them occurred while she was literally in jail, they were yeah. kind of like, yeah, good enough. Yeah. It, it does seem very likely that it was... Um, a potential copycat system there. Yeah. You know, or linked by nothing but circumstantially same style of murders, which is not out of the question. Well, I mean, it's also like, let's be real. It's the early 1900s in the South, like... Major racism. I mean, I think the KKK was pretty uh, vocal about the crimes they did commit. But I also think a lot of people will admit that it's highly likely that they were behind a lot of killings of African-American people that Just, went unsolved, yeah. especially at that time. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, that is the story of Clementine Barnabet. It's always something I found so interesting because it's – when you read articles about it, it's pitched as Clementine Barnabet was is one of the most prolific female serial killers. I'm like, well, actually... Was she? Was she? Yeah. And I a don't lot know. of articles want to be like the voodoo serial killer priestess. And I'm like, also debatable. They love to like play that card too, don't they? In like race-based crimes or anything to do with African-Americans or Haitian mm. Americans, um, anywhere where they have that voodoo like witchcraft thing or they love to be like yeah it has to be some sort of witchcraft thing like it was the same thing with robert the doll where there was a Mm. theory that their handmaid that worked at the house was a haitian woman who cursed a toy that robert had yeah and it was a it was a voodoo curse she put on him And, and in reality no such haitian maid ever worked for the household Mm. people in like these olden times and these errors love to fucking play that card yeah so for just for reference um when you look 
at uh, Lafayette, which as far as I can tell was where Clementine lived, and you look at how far that was from uh, New Orleans, just because I think the Axeman murders is really interesting. It's only like uh, 150 miles, so it's not that far. So it would take you a couple of days to walk it, and it would take you like two hours to drive it. Shit, okay. Yeah, he so could, he could really have not... easily fucked off from New Orleans and gone to... I mean, you never know. Yeah. Like, the MO of the victims don't really line up. Um, yeah, totally. It's just a But it's just it's just interesting. Like, it's very interesting that they were occurring at essentially basically nearly the same time. Yes. Very close together and both with axes. Yeah, and it's just kind of sad because you think about all the potential that if we had the mindset, like we still have our issues now in the world. And I think as humanity, like as we kind of go on in life, we'll always have these issues, albeit they'll be somewhat minute compared to what they are now or fucking years ago. But you kind of just think like if this was sort of occurring now, you know, we could have actually gotten answers as to who had properly done that. Mm. Maybe it's, it's, you know, it's all hypothetical and we're all sort of banking on the thought that like we've come leagues ahead of what racism was. Yeah. But you know, the, the, the prevalent thing is that racism is still very much here and profound today. Um, but it is just sad because you think like we f- we could have fucking figured this out if you guys yeah. just got your shit together. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Yeah. Well, that is that concludes our yeah, first episode of our, On the Rocks. Yeah, we we have two unsatisfying cases that have no real, mm. you know, mo or conclusion as to like what happened properly. Why did it happen? Yeah. But yeah, like we said, if you have a case that, I mean, if you have a case that you want to suggest for the main show, um, please visit our link in the link tree and add it to our list. Um, But, you know, if there's a case that you perhaps haven't heard a lot of other podcasts covering, maybe because there isn't a lot of information, this show also gives us a platform to kind of talk about more recent missing cases as well. because obviously, you know, we don't have a huge audience, but we have an audience. So it would be cool to get to talk about current missing people and yeah. kind of bring those cases to light as well. So, yeah, if you have any suggestions of what you'd like us to talk about, pop it in our Google Doc and we'll we'll get to it. I think that's very interesting that you bring that up too after we just did the Grateful Doe case. Yeah. Where um in the subreddit and facebook page i believe it was most of the subreddit there's it's still active today where they're actually actively trying to fix missing missing persons cases mm. so I, w- I we would like to put that out that this show is going to be sort of just not strictly true crime ish yeah like we're going to sort of cover all different things paranormal stuff creepy yeah. pastors missing person cases literally so. anything that is of interest so if you guys have anything that you want us to conspiracy cover, conspiracy theory, yeah, love lot, a good dude, totally theory. love a conspiracy theory, like the case that Laura did um, a couple of episodes back of Stockholm syndrome. Mm. That stuff is fascinating, and we want, we kind of want to cover that as well, um, because I think it's just once you sort of not to say that murder is bland or like redundant, redundant, but like um, it, it, it's like it's 
it, we, we, keep, we keep repeating it. Yeah. But like it, it is sort of just a bit like, oh, we have to do like just this. Like, fuck that. I want to do other stuff as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're branching out. Yeah. So Trying literally anything things. you guys want us to cover, hit us up. We're, we're here. We are here. We are here. We are dear. Yes. Because we're not. I'm not going to say the other thing because it's no. not true. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. Um, this has been On The Rocks. I think we'll probably wrap it up around there because it's been a good 28 minutes. Yeah, we'll um, keep our shit talking to the main show. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you get enough of us. Yeah. We, we might have something a little, a little something special for people oh, who want to help out on the show. We might have a little shit talking thing for special people, but that'll special. that'll be... That'll be announced at a later date, hopefully yes. soon. Hopefully soon. We need to um, work some things out. Yes. But hopefully soon. Anyway, thank you guys for joining us for Best Serve Colds mini show on the rocks. And we'll catch you on Wednesday for the main the show. Main show, yeah. Bye. bye. A short bye for the on the rocks episode. Oh, bye. okay. Should we do that again? Yeah, we do. Bye. bye.